Yeah, it's great to have you here uh, on this Sunday evening, on the uh, 21st of January. Um, it was good to see some of you this morning at the Allianz uh, Gottesdienst in Leon, and uh, great to see some of you made it back for evening church as well. It's a good habit to cultivate, I think. Yeah, as Brandon said, we're currently studying the book of James here on a Sunday evening, and we've just dedicated two babies now to a life of faith. Their parents desire that they grow up in Christian faith. Their parents recognize that they can't do that all, of their own, all in their own strength, that they need God's help, they need God's spirit, they need God's grace, and they also need our encouragement and our uh, carrying, helping them carry their burdens. As Paul says, that fulfills um, the law of Christ. And so we want to look uh, this evening, what is that? What kind of faith have, are these babies being dedicated into? What kind of faith are their parents desiring that they grow up uh, into? And we're doing that by looking at the book of James, which is a very practical letter, partly one of the reasons why it's such a popular letter. It speaks so clearly in so many ways to uh, so many real-life situations that we find ourselves in, that in fact all Christians find themselves in throughout um, the history. We started two weeks ago. Uh, with a look at who was James. A few people joining us for the first time tonight. So we, we said that he was the half-brother of Jesus. So he shared Jesus' mother, uh, Jesus' earthly mother, Mary. And he was probably the eldest of Jesus' siblings. And he was initially unbelieving. He didn't believe in Jesus when Jesus was ministering. He was one of those that appeared and said um, that, you know, that he thought Jesus was crazy. But he had a post-resurrection encounter so with the resurrected Christ and that completely transformed his life, completely changed his life, such that he, as Brandon pointed out two weeks ago, described himself as a slave or a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a slave or a servant of his own brother, if you will. And so he became one of the leaders, the early leaders of the Jerusalem church. And we see that if you look at the history of the early church in the book of Acts, you see that he plays a prominent role. He's a man with a lot to say because he's a man who knew Jesus Intimately, He grew up with Jesus and, and his, his teaching in the book of James, as we'll see as we go through this letter, it mirrors in so many ways Jesus' own teaching. We can come very close to what Jesus taught through the book of James. And he was a man who was martyred, who died for his faith in Jesus Christ around 62 AD, before Peter and Paul. So last week, we looked at James' radical teaching of having joy through trials. Just think about that. Don't let that sentence just roll over you. Having joy through trials. We've just, again, dedicated two babies. Trials will come. They come to all of our lives. The kind of faith James is talking about is the kind of faith that can have joy through the really hard times of life. And that is a radical, radical teaching because it's a radical faith. And Brandon showed us last week the mindset, the change in our mindset, the way we think that we need to be able to, to wrap our heads around this idea of actually having joy, not getting discouraged when trials come, but having an inner joy that stays with us throughout all of life. And this was teaching that is relevant to all Christians in all ages, definitely relevant to the Christians James was writing to when he wrote this letter, who were suffering a lot of trials for their faith. But it's relevant for us here too as we start a new year. It's still uh, in many ways a fresh page ahead of us, halfway through January or three quarters of the way through January. But we can expect trials this year. And James says radical Christian faith means having joy in the midst of those trials. Now, Brandon's given this series the subtitle. I think you saw it on the image earlier. 
Well, we had the image, there it is again, living faith, living faith. And that's a, a worthy subtitle. And by that, we mean that James, throughout this letter, is contrasting two kinds of faith. Living faith, and well, the opposite of living is dead, dead faith. And then I, I don't think it's difficult to guess what kind of faith it is that we might be interested in as Christians, as, as people who seek to follow Jesus. And that is, of course, we want to be pursuing a living faith. And that's the kind of faith that James is showing us, that James is recommending to us, commending to us, encouraging us to live. And it's really in this next section of the letter, so we come to part three today, starting in chapter 1 and verse 19, and going all the way through to the end of chapter 2. We won't go all through there today. Where this contrast, so the contrast between living faith on the one hand and dead faith on the other, is most clear, is most visible. Which is why this section of James that will start today is one of the most challenging sections, you could say, in the whole New Testament, in all the New Testament writings that we have. Because it speaks to, a heart, to an issue at the very heart of our belief or our, of our religion as Christians. And therefore, it's always relevant, and if you, especially if you know history and you look back through history, you can see this was an issue. The, the challenge between dead faith and living faith is an issue that has been relevant at all times of church history. Especially for people outside the church, people who don't believe in Jesus, people who haven't accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They look very critically at this throughout church history because they see a lot of times where the church or where the, where the so-called faith of Christians seem to be dead based on, what, on how they lived and what they did. So James is making an argument. We want to take this on board for the next few weeks. James is making the argument that true Christianity, so real Christian faith, is always seen, it's always visible, you can see it in its works, that is, by how Christians live. True Christianity always is visible in how it's worked out in people's lives, how they live. And so James, again and again in this section, he identifies the importance of doing the word. We're going to read the word in a minute. We're going to listen to it. You're going to listen to it. I'm going to read it. And James is emphasizing the importance of not just listening, but doing the word. Meaning that is the sign of true Christianity, not just listening, but doing the word. And James notes, this is so challenging, so uh, hardcore, you might say, that true faith is always marked by obedience. True faith in Jesus, really following after Jesus, really being his disciple, is always marked by obedience. That is, I can see that you follow Jesus by the way you live your life. I can see that you follow Jesus by the way you think about reality by the way you relate to other people, by the way you relate to the society that God has placed you in, the family God has placed you in. And James ultimately says it's only such faith, it's only living faith which will ultimately bring you salvation. Salvation meaning for James that at the last day when Christ returns, salvation is being accepted by Christ at the last day, invited to come in, to the new heavens and the new earth. It's only living faith, truly following Jesus, that being seen in our lives, which will give us salvation at the last day. Dead faith 
is worthless and won't bring us anything. So if you want to to link it back to what we've heard already, you can think of living faith as the kind of faith that takes joy through trials. That takes joy through trials. The kind of faith, as we heard last week, that perseveres to the end to obtain the crown of life. It's the kind of faith that rests in the promises of God the Father as the giver of all good gifts. So the text we're in tonight, this letter, James, this is not a kind of let's have tea and biscuits with the vicar kind of text. That's a bit British, isn't it? In America, what would you do? Share a cheeseburger? Yeah, maybe, maybe the past, yeah. But this is James. He was the first bishop of Jerusalem. So you can imagine a bishop, he probably had a mitre and a crozier, those kind of sticks. He's kind of like whipping that hat off, throwing it over there, and let's go with the crozier. This is a, a tough, challenging text. And so today we've come to look at the next section of James' letter. And I've entitled the message today, Accepting the Word. So accepting the Word is or means doing the Word. Accepting the Word is to doing the Word. That is, don't just listen to the Word, do what it says. So let's read the text together. We're reading in James chapter 1, and we'll read the verses 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, James writes, take note, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and then, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's the text then. I think even if we left it there, you'd go home challenged. So James starts with an example uh, which is immediately accessible to everyone here. And as I thought about it this week, I can see that in my own life. I can see it in the lives of other people. I've experienced these things this very week. I'm sure many of you have too. He's talking about listening, speaking, and growing angry. Firstly, we should know, he says, dear brothers and sisters, which indicates often in this letter that he's, he wants to address a new topic, And he says, take note of this. That's his way of saying, I want you to listen carefully. I want you to pay attention to what I have to say to you now. And he gives three things that everyone should be, that few of us are. Everyone should be quick to listen. Are you quick to listen? Everyone should be slow to speak. Are you slow to speak? Or do you jump in very quickly? And everyone should be slow to anger, slow to get angry. Are we slow to get angry or are we really quick to get hot 
angry, frustrated. And again, this is so relevant, I feel, to most all of our lives. Uh, unless we've taken a vow of silence, which I obviously haven't, or we're living as hermits, which you obviously aren't, because you're all here tonight, uh, then we're all in the business of listening, uh, at least we should be, uh, and of speaking. But in the modern world, I just want to say, make um, one point about this. We've exp- we've, in the modern world that we have around us, we've effectively removed two things when we think about our humanity. And they, th- these things affect these, um, um, these words that James gives us here. We've taken away, so as a, as a society, I'm not saying necessarily you individually as a Christian, we've taken away as a society, though, that we're created as human beings in the image of God, and we've taken away the purpose. We don't have a purpose. There's no purpose to human life. God, if God hasn't created us, then he hasn't created us for a purpose. So much of the modern world out there denies the creation, and therefore they deny that there's any ultimate purpose to life. We're certainly not created to glorify God, they would say. And so because we're defined in a materialistic way by our biological reality only, and there's the ultimate purpose of life is denied, that means from a Christian perspective, human beings no longer find their value and their identity in being created by God and for God, created by God in his image and for God in order to, to glorify him through our lives here. And so we have to get other things in to step in for our purpose in life or things that give us value and identity, things like, for example, intelligence or our performance, what we, what we manage to do in our work or, or in our studies. And this, I think, has led to massive, I mean, it's led to massive levels of stress, but it's also led to levels of insecurity, and, and this is where I wanted to connect with the text that we just read. This doesn't just exist outside the church. So I'm not just talking about people outside. This comes right inside the church because we as Christians are so influenced by the world often that we begin to give ourselves value and identity not because we've been created in the image of God or because we've been given a purpose to glorify Christ because we've been redeemed by him. But we start to let things like our intelligence or our academic studies or our work or our performance or whatever give us value and purpose, and we, get, we, we start to become insecure. These things are not anchors for us, like our creation in the image of God. And insecurity, I think, uh, is one of the major factors that leads us to do what James says here we shouldn't do. It leads us not to listen, and we become too quick to speak. We're always trying to justify ourselves. Um, we're always trying to defend ourselves because our, our value is not located in God. It's who we think, the, the, the image that we project to the world. James is talking about the spiritual life here. He's not just talking about the weather, that we should be quick to listen when someone wants to tell us about the temperature outside. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this in the context of the community of faith as we encourage each other as Christians. We need to be quick to listen to what the others have to say and slow to speak, slow to defend ourselves. And oftentimes... The reason we don't do that is because we're insecure, because we haven't found our identity in Christ. And there are examples that I experienced even this week. We have to, we have to see here, as James writes this challenging letter to us, we all share this fallen condition. We all live as human beings in a fallen world. We're all too quick to speak, too slow to listen carefully, to really listen to what other people are saying 
too quick to grow angry, too eager to defend ourselves at all costs, to justify ourselves in our insecurity. And James is saying, this shouldn't be like this. This shouldn't be like this. Living like this, is his next point, doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. What does that mean? It means that isn't what God wants for us in the way we live, that, in the way we live our lives. And so the question we have to ask, that James encourages us to ask here is, well, what does produce this righteousness? And James shows us in the, the next sentence, what does produce that righteousness? It means two things. To produce the righteousness that God requires, to live in a way that God wants us as his human beings, as his creation to live, means two things, James says. He says here in verse 21, get rid, that's the first thing, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. And the second thing is, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So let's look at this briefly. The idea here, get rid of, is, it's like it's the, it's the word used for taking off dirty clothes. Taking off dirty clothes. It's, a, it's an example that's used often in the New Testament when we're, when we're trying to put off the sin or, the, or the, the, the evil that characterized our lives before we came to know Jesus Christ and experience his grace. And that's what James is saying here. We, we want to take this off. And what he means here is that we have to take sin seriously because we have to get rid of it. If we're not taking it seriously, if we're not seeing that it's really there, it's very difficult to get rid of it. This is why James is so challenging. We have to understand that sin is really sinful. It's really bad. It's really detestable. And we have to understand on the other side, we've got a fight on our hands. The Christian life is not a life of ease. It's a life of fighting. I think this might sound strange to some of you. I hope it doesn't. This doesn't mean there's no joy in the Christian life. It doesn't mean that we're always down about sin. But it means we're aware of sin because we hate it, because it disturbs the joy we have in Jesus Christ. And I have to say that James thought many Christians didn't take sin very seriously. In chapter 4, he writes to them, these are Christians in the churches, he says, chapter 4, verse 4, we'll get to that in some time. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means being enemies of God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James is confronting them, confronting them about their inability or their, their lack of desire of taking sin seriously. So James says the first thing is take off, get rid of all that moral filth. And the second idea that he, that he, adds, uh, that he adds here is humbly accepting the word of God that's been planted in us. Humble means we have a sober attitude. We don't think too highly of ourselves. We don't think too lowly of ourselves. We demonstrate that the word, of, the, the word about Jesus Christ, the word of God, we've accepted it as that's what we want to rule our lives, to, to guide our lives, to help us live our lives. And the word that uh, James is talking about here refers back to what he said, which is so encouraging for us, in verse 18. Where it says, verse 18 of James chapter 1, where it says, God chose to give us birth, so a new birth, new life, 
through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. This is encouraging because it means that it was God who chose you. God who gave you new life. And the way he gave you that new life, James is saying here, is through the word, the word about Jesus Christ, which he planted in you, he put in you. So it's the word, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that God has given to you and which he has planted in you. So what James is saying here, he's saying you've got to accept this word. It's been planted in you by God and you need to accept it. So he's not talking here to, to people who don't know Jesus. He's not talking about people becoming Christians. He's talking to people who do know Jesus. He's saying that word has been put inside you by God. And it's time for you to accept it. And so his example of accepting it is getting rid of the moral filth, getting rid of that evil, taking sin seriously, because it it disturbs and mars our relationship and our joy in Jesus Christ. So accepting the word, what James means by that, accepting the word, as he'll show again and again, means doing the word, doing what it says. But how do I accept it? How do I do it? It becomes very clear in this section with probably the most famous verse in the letter. It's the next one, verse 22. There James writes, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't merely listen and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This is so straightforward on the one hand, um, so clear to understand. Let me just illustrate how close um, James is here to Jesus at this point. Jesus, of course, says, in, I'll take one example, there are many, in Luke 11 and verse 28, we, uh, Luke records first there that Jesus replied, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So this is how close James is to the teaching of his half-brother, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not some later doctrine that James is kind of sneaking in here to take us away from Jesus. This is what Jesus Christ himself taught. James is faithful to Jesus' tradition. But let's focus on this verse 22 for a moment. Literally what it says there in the original is, but become doers of the word and not only listeners deceiving yourselves. Become a doer of the word. Firstly, as we noted before, the word links back to verse 21 and to to verse 18. We're talking, what do we mean by the word? We're talking about the entirety of the Christian faith, the testimony about Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. We're talking about the, the, the content of Christian teaching, what Jesus Christ and his apostles have taught, and then the application of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and Jesus' teaching to our lives. This is what we mean by the word. And it's important to note here, uh, when, G- when James says here, do not merely listen to the word. James is not saying that listening is bad. What he is saying is only listening is bad. So the chronology goes like this. You're a Christian because God has chosen you. We saw that in verse 18 to give you new life. 
And in doing this, he's placed his word, he's implanted it, James writes, we saw before, in you. We can think maybe of other pictures in the Bible. Last year's um, text for the year was from Ezekiel, where God says, I will give you a new heart. We might think about Jeremiah with the new covenant that God says, on that day, I will write my law in your heart. These are the kind of pictures that James has in mind from the Old Testament as he's writing. So this is what happens. God chooses to give you new life. This word is planted in your heart. And now James is saying, now that you've got this word, don't just, you need to accept it. And that means not just listening to it, but doing it. Become a doer. Be transformed by the word in your heart. Do listen to it. You do need to listen to the word, but you don't need to just listen to it. You need to do it. Because if you're only a listener, if you're only a listener, then he says here, this is another hard one, you're deceiving yourself. You're deluded. You think one thing, but it isn't reality. That is, if you're only a listener, you haven't really accepted the word. And in fact, you may now, now well be blinded to your true spiritual state. You think you're a Christian. You think you're a follower of Jesus, but you're not. Three examples come to mind. The idea of a fair weather Christian. When things are good, when things are fine, when it's plain sailing, when it's a sunny day. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. But when trials come... There's no joy in those trials. Those people are jumping off the ship. Another example would be the cafeteria Christian. You know how you go to a cafeteria, you get a tray, and then you can pick things out from the salad bar. Or maybe you don't like salad from the meat bar. I've never seen. Maybe There are probably cafeterias with meat bars in Texas, I'd say. And you kind of pick out what you like and what you don't like, you leave back. This is another, this is another um, idea of this, that you don't accept the word. You accept bits and pieces that you like. You put together your own philosophy. Or another would be a hobby Christian. We had, we had at the start the example of going around to the vicar for some tea and biscuits. That to me sounds like a hobby. It's kind of like a nice thing to do. It's a nice thing to go down to church. They've got such lovely flowers. They sing such lovely songs. They're such good people. That's hobby Christianity. Fair weather Christianity, cafeteria Christianity, hobby Christianity. I have to say, this text speaks to me because this is exactly how I was living my life some 14 years ago, back in 2004. I grew up in a, in a Christian home, went to church every week. I even liked going to church, and not for the biscuits, and certainly not for the coffee. I grew up in an Anglican church, and we had instant. They did tea. And so my life from the outside was a Christian. I was a Christian. All my friends at high school, I was the only Christian in my group. Um, some, people, some people used to call me God Boy. That was kind of my, my nickname. Yeah, God Boy, yeah. But, on the, but I hadn't understood what it really meant to accept the word, to actually live like it. If you looked at my life, my life did not look like how the life of a follower of Jesus would be. And in 2004, when I came to Freiburg for the first time, I was finally away from my home in Sydney, and I was really down to my own devices, if you will. And it was really in that time where God uh, spoke to me uh, through the fellowship of church, as well as in other ways, and showed me, whoa, your life is way out of kilter with what you say that you are, with what you say that you believe. This is a challenge that maybe you need to hear tonight, that you need to hear tonight. It's better to hear now. It's better to be confronted with this bad news now that you might be deceived. You might think you're a Christian, you're not. 
than to get to the end where Christ is waiting on the throne of judgment and to hear, I never knew you. You don't want to go down there. So even though it's uncomfortable tonight, let the word that James is giving you here speak to your heart and measure where you stand. And the thing is, because we're fallen, because we're sinful human beings, we all tend towards this. We all tend towards merely listening and not doing. And that's why God gave us his word and his spirit, and we want to praise him for that. It's God, as James shows, who is the initiator, who comes after us, who sends himself, who sends his son, Jesus Christ. He's the one who pours out his spirit. He's the one who doesn't leave us. That's our God. But we really need to let this text fully work on us. This is James confronting error. He's not tiptoeing around it, being nice. I don't want to offend anyone or upset anyone. He's confronting error head on. I mean, he, he calls what they're living in moral filth. That's not diplomatic. He's confronting fair-weather Christianity. He's confronting cafeteria Christianity. He's confronting hobby Christianity, saying, you've got to take this seriously. You've got to take this seriously. God is merciful. God is love. But God cannot be mocked. He will not accept lip service when our hearts are far from him. He will not accept dead faith. And that is clear in this book from start to finish. God is merciful, but we need to come to him and we need to act need to do what his word says. And James uses a picture here to illustrate what he's saying. And uh, the picture is, I'll just uh, read it for you again, is that of a mirror. He says, The one who listens but doesn't do what it says, so he's a listener, not a doer, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they'll be blessed in what they do. So the key point here, we could say a lot about this picture, but we won't tonight. The key point here is either forgetting, being forgetful, like the person who looked at their own picture in the mirror, their own, the own, their own image in the mirror, and then as soon as they go away, they forgot what they'd seen. Or the person who looks into the perfect law, of, of love that gives freedom and doesn't forget but continues faithfully doing it. That's the key difference, forgetting and not forgetting. So the person who is a listener only, who hears the word but doesn't do it, they're like the person who looks in the window in the mirror and immediately forgets what they saw. But the one who looks uh, and into the, the perfect law is a doer, doesn't forget what they've heard, but continues in doing it. And this is a key theme all through the Bible that God says to his people again and again, don't, don't forget. Don't forget, especially if you read, go and read the end of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of Moses. The fifth book of Moses. God even commands his people that they should read the law. They should read through the history of God with his people regularly so they don't forget what God has done for them. But as we see throughout the Old Testament, this is not what happens. We're all, we all tend to be forgetful. But we don't, as Christians, we don't want to be forgetful listeners. We want to be faithful doers. Because, as James says here, and isn't this an invitation? Isn't this an invitation for 2018? It's the person who is a faithful doer who will be blessed by God in all they do. The person who is a faithful doer will be blessed by God 
in all they do. So again, James is saying to truly accept the word that's been planted in you by God means to do it. How do I know I've accepted the word? I'm doing it. It's visible in my life. That's the way I live my life. That characterizes my life. It characterizes my relationship. My relationships with the people God has placed in my life. Accepting the word is doing the word. Don't just listen. Do what it says. Now James gives us three practical examples and next week we'll get into a lot more of the practicalities of how this works out in the community when we look at things like favoritism. So we won't, we won't go deeply into these examples here. But it's just good to say that this is not exhaustive. This is not all there is to, uh, to, to, in terms of practical examples. In fact, uh, the rest of the letter, if you will, gives us more and more examples of what a, Christian, what, a, what a life characterized by living faith, not dead faith, looks like. What a life characterized by doing the word and not just merely listening looks like. But James, um, again, a topic he'll come back to with great, um, great strength and also strong words in chapter 3, uh, says, talks here about taming the tongue. He started us off tonight with an example that we all need to be slow to speak. And now he says, let's read these last two verses, those who consider themselves religious, and he's not, he's not using religious in a pejorative or negative sense here, the way many Christians think, oh, I'm not religious. No, he's using religious in a, in a, in a, in a good sense. Those who think that they are part of the people of God, that who, who participate in worship the way God has ordered it for his people. If you think you're part of God's people, if you think you're in this relationship with God, and yet you don't watch out uh, for what you speak, if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongues, then again, James is harsh here, but he says that you're deceiving yourselves and your religion, the fact that you think that you're part of the worshipping people of God, is worthless. So he's saying here, basically a person who has living faith who has true religion, will show that. You'll see that in the way they speak. You'll see that in the way they speak. They won't, but that doesn't mean we have to be perfect. We all make mistakes. As James will point out in chapter 3, it's almost impossible to tame the tongue. Harder than taming a wild animal, he says. But we will have control. We will, uh, it will, our speech will be uh, changed and transformed because we're humble, we have that humble attitude that accepts the word, we, we find our identity in Christ, and therefore we can, we can kind of relax almost. Because my identity is in Christ, because he's created me and I'm created in him, his image, and he's created me to worship him, I don't have to identify by what I've done, or by what I study, or by how intelligent I am, or whatever. And then I don't have to be quick to speak and quick to get angry. I don't always have to defend myself and justify my things, my deeds. And therefore, I will have control over my speech. And second, we'll just briefly mention that here. James mentions what the Old Testament constantly mentions, that God's people are called to look after the helpless in society. So people who have living faith, people who have faith that where they've accepted the word of God and they're actually doing it, you'll look at their lives and you'll see them taking care of people who are helpless to take care of themselves. 
It doesn't mean that everybody who's a true Christian is completely devoted to social and mercy ministry. There are many different callings in life, but we will show that where we come into contact with people who are helpless, we look after them and we support ministries and churches to do so. And thirdly, uh, James says again, we heard his words earlier about um, friendship with the world being enmity with God. He says, those who have a living faith, it will be shown in the way they think, the way they act, the way they live their lives. They won't be getting polluted by the world. Again, this is something that might be very challenging for us in our time because many sections of the church have cozied up pretty close to the world in many ways. But back when James was writing, Christianity was a radical thing. You did not live like other people in the Roman Empire. You didn't have images of Caesar at home on your wall. You weren't offering incense to the emperor. You weren't participating in orgies down at the temple. You lived a completely different life. You were kept yourselves away from that impurity. And James is saying that is a strong sign of living faith, of somebody who's realized that accepting the word that God has planted in my heart means doing it. So I want to come to the end uh, now and, uh, and finish up. I think we've seen, and I think God will have shown you as you read through this text with an open mind, that we're all prone to do these things. We're all sinners. We all tend to speak quickly, too quickly, get angry too quickly. We all tend towards merely listening instead of doing. We forget God and we forget his word. And God is confronting that through James in this book. God is speaking to you through his minister, James in this book. We, we, we realize we need redemption. We need saving from ourselves because we can't do it in our own strength. And the great thing is that God provides us that redemption in Jesus Christ. It's God, remember this, who planted his word in you. God gave you new birth and new life. It's Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law, the requirements of God as to how we should live. And this new life means that you all now have God's spirit in you, enabling you to live a life that honors Christ, to live a life that pleases God. And the way that works is through the Holy Spirit working faith in the gospel as the means of transforming your life, such that we're responding to what Christ has done for us by radical world-renouncing obedience. That is, the Holy Spirit is in you as you hear this word. It's the Holy Spirit enabling you to respond to this word, prompting you to respond to this word with joy by saying, Amen, I want to live for Jesus like that. I want to renounce the word. I want to live out living faith. I don't just want to listen to the word. I want to do it. That's the Spirit working in you. And if you sense the Spirit doing that, working through the word, then respond by walking in the way that's been prepared for you. And so as we hear the word of Christ tonight, but also again and again, as we go through the book of James, um, the spirit is working in us to transform us and we are encouraging and exhorting each other. So remember this, we can't obey these commands in and of ourselves. That's what we've seen in the Old Testament shows that, we always, that leads to forgetfulness and sin. But James isn't writing to us in our old situation before we knew Christ. He's writing to us in the new covenant with God's law implanted in us. That should be a word of encouragement for you tonight. So that as you hear this word, the Spirit is both prompting you 
As you hear this, and as the thoughts come to mind, what does my life look like in, in, in comparison to, in contrast to the words that I've heard tonight? That's the Spirit. And He's also empowering you as you go out those doors into the new week to, with joy, do what you have heard. And as you see that helpless person tomorrow, or as you get into that situation tomorrow when somebody kind of offers you a bit of pushback and you're tempted to kind of defend yourself, get angry quickly, then listen for the promptings of the Spirit. He will empower you with joy to do the Word. So we see the need, I think. James has made it very clear. We see the need for living faith, for visible faith, for faith that can be seen by its deeds. We need that. That's the kind of faith which stands at the last day. But we have to understand Jesus is the one who ultimately satisfies that need through his life, through his death, through his resurrection and his sending of his spirit. So it's placing our faith in him that transforms our lives, which is why we want to respond to this word tonight. So I invite the worship team back up. Not, not with a moralistic to-do list. Don't take that away from this service. A moralistic to-do list, I've got to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. But we want to respond with worship, trusting in Jesus' promises and responding then boldly, seriously, radically to the word we've heard. Amen.